Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Hey, it's great, great to hang with you guys this morning. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 7. We are coming to a close uh, of our, our uh, Sermon on the Mount series, Citizens of the Kingdom. And really, this is sort of the end, you know, Jesus has shared about life in the kingdom, what it means to be a citizen of, of his kingdom. And, uh, and last week, we, we began to wind down what Jesus was talking about as he really encouraged those who are listening in to make a decision about their lives and whether they were going to actually uh, listen and actually heed what Jesus was saying, uh, he encouraged them in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, to enter into the narrow gate. And he said that broad is the way and, and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. There are very many people that find it, but narrow is the way and difficult is the path that, and, that leads to life. And there are few that find it. And Jesus is coming to this conclusion of what it means to be a part of his kingdom. There's one way in through Jesus Christ and faith in him. And that's why it becomes a difficult path. In fact, Matthew 7, let's read verse 13 uh, through 20 together. And we will look at some of the obstacles of that narrow path. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, Jesus said, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is really some of the pitfalls, if you would, to uh, those that are on that narrow path. The pitfalls, the dangers uh, that sort of meet us, the obstacles. And so Jesus lets them know and, and, and believers know that on this path there are some uh, opportunities for you and I to get derailed, if you would. And certainly those who are on the outside considering making a decision of entering the narrow gate and the narrow way that's difficult, that leads to life, trying to persuade them to actually not enter it. And Jesus called them false prophets. Jesus said, beware. It's a word that means to keep on the lookout, to be on guard against these false prophets that bring messages that, again, will derail a person from actually uh, walking with God and knowing God and and staying on that narrow path. Uh, Peter talks about this. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter said, but there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves, 
really what Jesus said about the trees being cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, and many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their, their destruction will not be delayed. Peter said what Jesus is affirming here, that they'll always be among us. Uh, maybe not necessarily in this room, but on your Christian journey, you're going to be confronted with things that seem right. As Jesus said, they come to you in sheep's clothing, yet inwardly they are not a sheep, they are a ravenous wolf. We're to beware, uh, to beware of those opportunities that Satan would plant in our lives and dissuade us from actually living a life after Jesus. It's hard to understand who they are, though, because, again, you know, they don't have a, a sign around their neck or their Instagram, you know, description isn't like, hey, man, I'm a false prophet. You shouldn't listen to me. That's not the way it happens. Uh, they're disguised as sheep as they come to you, Jesus said. And they're deceptive. Uh, Satan himself is a master deceiver. Jesus called Satan the father of lies. So everything appears right, yet inwardly Jesus affirms they're ravenous wolves according to our Lord. And the dangers and the subtlety that they would bring a message and try to infuse it into Christianity. No one would ever imagine it, again, because they look like a sheep. They talk like a sheep. They might even smell like a sheep. Maybe you know the, the story of the big, big bad wolf, right? You know, reading this story as a little kid. We have some creepy things that we do, by the way, as we raise our kids, right? That's like a scary story. Like, oh, I'm going to go to grandma's house. Your grandma had a lunch appointment. That's not your grandma. Those big teeth that you recognize and those big feet that you recognize, right? That is a wolf, and he wants to eat you, little Red Riding Hood. That's not the way Satan comes, I was reading this morning, even Paul talks about to the church in Corinth saying that there are false teachers among them. And he says, and they disguise themselves as an angel of light. And so they're able to, to, to really just, you know, uh, deceive Christians and deceive those that were considering going on this narrow path. They're advocates of the broad way that leads to destruction. Paul spoke about a similar group of people, when he was talking to, in the book of Acts, he gathered the, the, the elders and the leaders, uh, the leadership of, uh, of the church that was beginning in the, the city of Ephesus. And this is actually the last time he was going to see them personally. And he was making his journey to Jerusalem. And he said, listen, I need to gather you guys. So they came to sort of the path and route that he was on to get to Jerusalem. And he began to share with them his heart. He began to share with them about how when I was among you, I didn't, I didn't turn back from declaring all of God's counsel. I shared with you everything that God has to say about life, about death, about uh, his, his, the Jesus and who he is as the son of God, his death and resurrection, and the call to live a life after him, to follow him and to pursue him. But he said this to that group. He says, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves, the same description Jesus used, they will come in after, you, after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up, and notice this, distort the truth in order to draw a following 
Paul said, watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Paul gives a clue at what these false teachers, these false messages who distort the truth and draw a following after themselves like vicious wolves, he said, they'll distort the word in his grace and they'll seek to gain a following of people. That becomes a clue of the kind of fruit Jesus was talking about. Is that they really are gonna take God's word and use it in a way to gain their own crowd, if you would, and build a following instead of pointing people to Jesus. So Jesus says, this is how you know if they're the bogus fruit, a diseased tree or not. It's the fruit, the fruit that you see from not only what they say, but also how they live their lives. That fruit that we would see on a tree. Bad fruit doesn't grow on healthy trees, nor the other way around. Thorn bushes, Jesus says, they don't produce grapes. Figs uh, do not pro- uh, are not produced from thistles. This word picture is obvious for us to gain as it was to them that day. Good trees produce good fruits. You notice again that just like the broad way that many find that it leads to destruction, here's a second account as Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, that it ends bad for the bad trees as well. That it ends in destruction. That ultimately those trees will be cut down and cast into fire. Fruit According to this passage and other passages like it, fruit reveals the truth about who we are as human beings. As Jesus described the narrow path, we talked about it last week. If you weren't with us, you can go catch it on our podcast. But we talked about that narrow path. It's difficult because there's a lot of things that you and I have to leave behind on this narrow path. And just like that description of a broad path or a narrow path, it really reveals who a person is. If they're, if they're on that narrow path, their life will begin to take, this, this, take on the characteristics of the Sermon on the Mount. Their lives will be growing towards Christ's likeness. Uh, we call that in Christianity sanctification, that your life will begin to move closer to an image of who God is and what he wants to make of your life. Or your life is described as the broad path. Well, here in the same way, your, your life is either producing fruit that is glorifying to God or is producing bad fruit that really just says you're not this person, these false teachers, they're not saved men and women. They're not people who, to, who know God in a personal way. Their lives have not been uh, in this spot of actually uh, believing in Jesus and receiving that true righteousness. They're just like Pharisees. In fact, in this message or in this, this, this context when he's talking about the bad fruit produced by diseased trees, he's pointing to the religious leaders that everybody thought, man, they look like sheep. They talk like sheep. They're holy people. And Jesus exposed them for who they really were. They had an external form of of righteousness, but inside they were dead. Inside they had no true life. Before we start looking at others and their fruit, we have to ask ourselves this question this morning. Man, does, does my life bear fruit that glorifies God? Does it reveal that I am his? And then Jesus says, and then to beware of false prophets. 
Jesus says, in essence, here's a heads up, guys. There are some who will come to you with a message that will derail you and keep you from entering the narrow gate that leads to life. Jesus said, look at the fruit. How they live their life and what they teach, what comes out of their mouth. Does it match up to God's word, to God's character? What Jesus described as a citizen of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount? It was heretical teaching, but also hypocritical living is what he was calling attention to. So you think about that. You think about, you know, that, you know we just sort of go along in our Christian life and books come out and podcasts and all this information from, from the very beginning of Christianity. There's all kinds of, uh, of things that look right until you start to dig in a little bit. And so here's what I'd love for us as a church family to do. My encouragement to you is get to know God's truth, right? Get to know him and his word. Have you ever gone to a store before and uh, you pull out a $20 bill and like that 16-year-old cashier kind of looks at it like, you know, like you're a thief or something like that. And they're going like, hmm, make sure this isn't, you know, fraudulent, you know. And it's a, it's a $23 bill. Like, what's the problem? Just cash it and give me my money back. You know, they got that little pin out, you know what I mean? And, you know, those people that actually learn how to, to, um, to notice counterfeit bills, uh, they actually study the real thing. They know what's true. They know that there is no such thing as a $24 bill. Or a, you know, whatever, or a $20 bill that has, you know, a picture of, you know, uh, Donald Trump on it, which is never going to happen. I mean, so anyways, let me pull some of these thoughts back. I'm going to rein it in because we're going to, we got to get out of here. They studied the, the, the truth. Paul told the, the church in Ephesus, says, guys, I want to commend you to God who's going to lead you on the right path and the word of his grace and you as a man, you as a woman, me as a, a Christian man, you and I are called to know his truth, not only so that we might grow and nourish our spiritual lives, but so that we can detect the bogus crap that Satan wants to plant in our life so that we get derailed and spend a decade chasing after some little pet doctrine only to realize that it led me completely off. The, the path that God has me on and wants me to be on. There's a lot of people that get caught up in a lot of uh, just bogus stuff. So he says, look at their lives, the fruit of their lives. Any person that you go, man, they've got this new teaching, this new book, man, everyone's listening to them. Look at their life. Uh, not they're not going to be flawless. There's no one's going to be flawless, but do they, do they have the characteristics of a, a godly man or woman? Is there a desire to have not only God's righteousness in their life, but to pursue that righteousness? Is there a humility there? Do they display the characteristics of a citizen of the kingdom? Are they storing up treasures in heaven like Jesus told us in Matthew 6? Or are they storing up treasures here on earth? Uh, do they have an appearance of righteousness like a Pharisee? Are they being changed at the heart level? So those become very important for us so that we can uh, avoid getting derailed with those false messages. Uh, they, if you see a major emphasis on money and greed, you think about all the TV preachers that existed in the 80s and 90s that somebody's grandma is still giving money to. And you see their, you know, their proclamations of, you know, well, God said he's going to take me home if I don't raise this amount of millions of dollars. I'm like, have a nice trip home, man. Like, what is, what is that? Or, you know, I, I got to, you know, the, my, my Learjet isn't, isn't up to standards anymore. And I'm going to go take the gospel 
the, I'm going to go preach the gospel to the poor of the world, but I need this new jet, you know what I mean, to get there. Right? God wants, God, you know, God wants to be comfy in that jet. Listen, save your money. Right, if you see something like that. This emphasis on them, this emphasis on greed. Greedy for popularity, greedy for money. Listen up, man. That is a sign, Jesus said, that that is bad fruit. A ministry that puts an emphasis on raising cash and not the gospel. Or on a person, a man or a woman, not pointing to Jesus. That fruit is standing there for you and I to see and go, you know what, maybe that isn't the real thing. There were those who were sitting there again that would look at the religious leaders who were gathered, by the way, on the outer rim of this teaching moment, and they would say, man, those guys are holy. And Jesus is pointing out their fruit stinks. He says, don't fall for it. They were the ones that would detract people or to say to people, don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And they were keeping people out of the kingdom because of that. And by the way, Satan has raised up many over the centuries. And that's why Jesus says, beware. Look at the fruits of their lives. But then also, number two, look at the fruit of their teaching. If you were to buy into what they're saying, where's it going to lead you? What kind of a life is it going to produce in you and in me? The content of what they teach and the effect of it, the outcome of it. If you follow this, this is where it's going to lead you. Uh, it's going to make me look more like Jesus or more like a Pharisee or more like this world around me. Think about that. Man, I listen to that teaching. I follow that person. And by the way, this isn't stuff like, you know, just crazy kooky doctrines that, that's, that's, that's so false where it's so easy to see. But it's actually, they, they have truth, but it's what they're leaving out. Like Paul said, I haven't, I haven't shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. There's a lot of things that get left out that are important to our Christian journey. There's a lot of things that you and I need to hear in our lives. Of course, we ask the question, is it biblical? This is why we know to, need to know the Bible, to need to know God's word. But also to ask the question, is there anything missing it's so important to know the truth so that we might discern the bogus teaching. But oftentimes the real issue is not what they say that's false, but what they're leaving out. Important things that we all need to hear. Not just the parts that are easy, right? But the parts that also become difficult, like sacrifice. And Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Like forgiveness. The only people that want to hear about forgiveness are the people that need to be forgiven, Right? Like, hey man, preach that one because I've offended a lot of people. And then you just like send them a link. I don't even know what Gordon taught about, but you should listen to it. But when you are wounded and you are hurting and you hear what God has to say about forgiving others, even as Christ, in, even as God in Christ forgave you, that's some hard stuff that we need to hear, right? Not just sacrifice and forgiveness, but the call to live a humble life. To humble yourself. We get so puffed up in our pride and we think that we're better than everybody else. Or to bless those who persecute us. To pray for those who would want to use us. Those are hard messages, by the way, that we need to hear. And that's what it means to be on this narrow path. Peter described them as those who bring in destructive teachings. 
It could be that they're adding to salvation. Many of you, including myself, you know, kind of throughout your Christian journey, we can get confused about is a person saved in believing in Jesus and then adding? You know, a lot of people get confused about baptism. You know, baptism does not save a person. If, it, if that were true, I'd push everybody into the pool here at Clovis North. Like, hey, this is how you get out your car. Just count that as a baptism, Lord. Listen, baptism doesn't save you. Baptism just shows that you're a saved person. A person is saved when they recognize they've offended a holy God that they've sinned. And their only option is to believe in a Savior. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. But sometimes teachers will add things to it. And so we walk around kind of on eggshells like wondering like, oh my gosh, I saw a commercial for an R-rated movie. Did I lose my salvation? Or you, the scenario of like, hey, you leave church, you're driving your car, you're driving down knees. All these Christians are coming out of the hundred churches there on knees. And some of them just drive bad. And so you're just like, you know what? I don't have an RVC sticker on my car. And so you give them the one-way sign, you know what I mean? Just like, hey, hey, honk, honk. This is what I think about your driving. And then you crash and you die. Have you had that scenario before? And there you are standing before God. There you are standing before God. Pastor Gordon, come up. Let's take a little view of uh, your, your previous five minutes there on earth. Now, what is it you're trying to do? Well, I was trying to point him to Jesus. That's what I was trying to do. I used my longest finger to do that, but I was trying to let him know. Am I saved? Am I saved? You're saved today because you've chosen to believe in Jesus Christ. And he's produced a work in a dead soul. He made it alive and born again. If anyone tries to add to it, it's bogus. Peter said that they would deny the Lord, the master who bought them. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no person gets to the Father except through me. He's the only way. So what is it they would attack Well, or leave out? Well, one is the way of salvation. A false teacher that tries to bring anything else is sort of Oprah Winfrey kind of Christianity. Like there's... We're all going up to the mountain, and God is at the top, and as long as you sincerely choose a path that you want to go up, whatever religious pursuit you have, you just, we're all going to be there in the end, you know. That's not what Jesus said. If somebody said there's another way, well, that's easy to determine. It's bogus. There's a lot of messages in our world today. Think positive thoughts. It's sort of all-inclusive, you know, uh, we're all going to make it. If that were true then why do we have a bloody cross 2,000 years ago with a perfect Savior hanging on it? Where Jesus in the garden, as he was facing the betrayal that he was going to have from the disciples and all of them bailing on him, his arrest, his brutal beatings he was going to take uh, by the Romans, and the brutal death on the cross where he would absorb all of God's wrath, where he uttered the words to God in prayer. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Three times he prayed that prayer. Is what possible, Jesus? The salvation of humankind. Is it possible for a man or a woman, a child or an adult, to do enough good to cancel out their debt of sin? If it's possible, for salvation to come to humanity outside of me drinking this cup of your wrath 
and then let's figure it out. And silence is what he heard because it's not possible for human beings to be saved. There is no other religious path. It is what Jesus Christ did on the cross that produces the ability for a person to have their sins canceled out, pardoned from Almighty God, and adopted into his family. And so there's an attack on the way of salvation. They would say that Jesus is not the only way, or that the, there is no narrow gate, that there's all the different ways you can make it. If there's a de-emphasis of the cross and the holy exchange that happened, as Paul said, for God made him who never sinned to be the sin offering for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Another thing that they leave out or they distort is the Christian life, number two. The, des the description of the Christian life in the Sermon on the Mount. We need God's truth. God's truth is like a sword. It cuts, does some surgery in our lives, right? You ever been listening to a Bible study or reading your Bible and you read something that just goes like, ow. Like, ow, man, I don't want to deal with that. You might feel like that happens on Sunday mornings to you. Well, think about what I have to do with all week getting ready. We want a comfy Christianity, you know what I mean? Like Uggs and pumpkin spice lattes, you know what I mean? It's just like, tell me how much God loves me. Yeah, he loves you a bunch, he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to stay the way you are right now. And he wants to work in your life and work in our hearts. The Sermon on the Mount is about putting on combat boots, right? This isn't this idea of the narrow paths of playground. It's a battleground. Beware of false prophets that would teach things that are untrue about the Christian life. There's all kinds of money to be made in Christian books and podcasts in this industry. Paul warned in the last days people would heap up teachers for their itchy ears. Cotton candy, by the way, is good at the fair, but it's terrible nutrition for your kids at the dinner table. Well, it's also bad for you spiritually, where you and I just consume the things that are just the easy stuff. Man, sometimes we need meat and potatoes. Yes, I said that. No vegans in, uh, in Bible study, right? You need meat, <laughs> You need, like, not, tofu is not the same. The early church was grounded in the word. Acts 2 says they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine. That meant that they studied God's word and doctrine. This wasn't about, oh, I just love the worship. I just, wanna, I just love the feeling that worship gives me. Worship God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, right? Love him like that. And the way you also love him is with your mind. You study truth. You study doctrine. You get into God's word. Again, if I follow this, will I look more like Jesus or more like the world? I too want a feel-good message. I don't want to hear things that, have to, that make me faced with change or change perspective that I have. Or call me to action. The Sermon on the Mount is about life change. It's about living if, if we regarded Jesus as our king. It's not about that thou, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. It's about rooting out lust out of your heart. It's not about don't take a hammer and hit your neighbor on the head with it and kill him, murder. It's about uprooting hatred out of your heart and not letting it fester there and bitterness fester there. There's a lot of change. It's not about not just judging people, which is difficult to do, but it's about doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. See, that's the message of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the message of Scripture. 
If we're never disturbed, if we're never uncomfortable, if you're never moved to change when you study God's word, if you're not have this sense that I need to rid this out of my life in order to honor Jesus this morning, then maybe it's a bogus message if we're not moved to sacrifice. You read through the Sermon on the Mount, you realize, man, I need the Holy Spirit's power to live that kind of a life. And that's what you ask him to do in your life. But the false is that sort of mamby-pamby, feel-good, cotton candy, no substance, no change. You know, there's a, before the end of the first century, there was a church. Their Instagram account blowing up. Everybody was talking about this church, the church of Laodicea. And they thought they had it all. And they were so comfortable. And they were eating a diet. They had the truth, right doctrine. But what they were consuming got them to this place where they had no idea how far they were from really honoring God. Jesus said this, I know all the things you do that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you were like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are a wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. How about that for not having self-awareness? Oh, I'm rich. I need nothing. And Jesus is like, you're naked. You can't see. You're miserable and wretched. That's where we get that, that, uh, that line. That saved a wretch like me. I don't know exactly what a wretch is, but I know I'm one. He said, so I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments for me. Then you'll not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. See, that was the church in Laodicea. And what they had was truth, but vital parts were missing. And Jesus tells them what's up. You've been lulled to sleep. Every so often we need a, hey, this is what's up from Jesus. As a church, don't we? Rattle our cage a little bit. Man, am I on the narrow path? Or does my life reflect a life that's on that broad path this morning? A third area that they would avoid or distort was the judgment of God. The Old Testament prophets, they gave bogus information. They're telling the nation of Israel, hey, it's all good, man. Like, I don't know what Jeremiah, what, what is up with Jeremiah? Bringing all this like heavy sermons down our path. It's because Jeremiah was trying to get them back on the right path. And they were proclaiming peace, peace. And Jeremiah's like, you're saying peace? There is no peace. Judgment is coming. And the judgment of God is so vital for you and I to understand. Uh, this is not a, hey, be fearful, you could lose your salvation. I do not believe that a born-again person who is spiritually dead, who God makes spiritually alive, can then become spiritually dead again, but then rededicate their life next Sunday, become spiritually made alive, and then become spiritually dead again, and then go to a college retreat. Now they're really spiritually alive, right? They got Hillsong, they got everything, and then they become spiritually dead again because Monday came around and it got really rough, right? This, this yo-yo, you know, kind of you're, you're saved, you're not saved, like a flower, like she loves me, she loves me not, that not, doesn't work in the Bible. However, to know that one day you as a Christian will stand before God and give an account for your life. And your salvation is secure, but you will stand before God, the judgment seat of Christ, Paul said, and give an account for your life. You'll be rewarded for what you have done for God and his kingdom and everything else, my friend, will be burnt up. The judgment of God. We avoid talking about things like that. 
Who is it? Hey, everyone, I'm so glad you've joined us at church today. Some of you are going to hell. I'm like, whoa, wrong day to invite my friend. <laughs> so if you're here today, it's okay. We like to talk about real stuff. We like to talk about real things here. If the message from a group or a church or a book is, everyone's okay, you're okay, they're okay, okay? When someone's heart is being stirred up and they show up at a gathering, they say, here's what I know, I'm not okay. And we look back through the corridor of time and see a bloody cross and go, there's something wrong if God had to step out of heaven and to absorb the wrath that sin deserved. That's what we need to avoid listening to those messages that just totally dismiss the judgment of God. When Paul stood before Felix in Acts 24, he said uh, to him, he, he was there with his wife, uh, not Paul's wife, Felix's wife, and they wanted to listen to Paul and what he had to say. So it says, he reasoned with them about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And Felix became frightened. He said, go away for now, he replied. And what is more convenient, I will call for you again. Paul didn't say, Felix, I've got a message for you. How to be happy. No, it's about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. It's okay for us to deal with real things. They de-emphasize eternity for the here and now, the temporary. But your view of eternity, it affects your here and now. What you instill in your children is based on what you know is coming. If there is a treasure in heaven that awaits you and I, then you and I start storing treasures up towards heaven. But if we don't believe that that's reality, guess what we do? We live on an earthly plane. We raise little kids who are entitled and have no desire for the things of God because that's what they see mom and dad living. It's okay for us to deal with one day you and I will stand before God. It reprioritizes our lives. In 1 John 3, John says, one day you and I will stand before God and we will see him face to face and we be like him for we shall see him as he is. And he says, and all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he himself is pure. It changes us. When I think about that day, like you think about, man, today could be the day that you stand before God. You think about that opportunity that, you know, there's going to be a generation living, could be ours, where, where, where the Bible describes that, that Jesus is going to return and he's going to rapture his church. What if that was today? What if that was right before kickoff? How many of you guys would be upset? Some of you guys are engaged right now, like, I'll be really mad if Jesus returns before my honeymoon, right? I mean, that's the biggest prayer. What can I pray for you 26 years ago? Just pray Jesus doesn't return until, like, after July 25th, 1992. It is because uh, Tam and I wanted to get to know each other better and, like, you know, stroll through the park in Hawaii. Come on, give me back. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. <laughs> It just changes the way you live your life here on earth. Here's a great quote. C.T. Sud, he wrote a poem. He said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Christian, you'll stand before God and give an account. You'll be rewarded for the things you've done. My encouragement to you today is to get messages and spiritual nutrition that challenges your life and encourages you on this narrow path. If you're here this morning and you're not certain if you were to die today that you'd spend, spend eternity with God, I want to urge you to decide who Jesus is in your life and make a decision to be a follower of his. 
because he loves you and he wants to rescue you from the destruction that awaits every person that stiff arms him and his love and goes to a Christless eternity. This is why the church ought to be about preaching the gospel and loving the lost and loving them enough to tell them the truth. Jesus says, guys, beware. There's a bunch of fake stuff out there. Check the fruit before you start consuming it. How they live, what they emphasize in their teaching. Paul wouldn't see those, get, those guys anymore in Ephesus, so he says, guys, I entrust you to God and the message of his grace. Can I encourage you? My friends, I want to entrust this church to God and his word. Make a decision to be a person of his word. Feed your life. God will guide you with his word. He says it is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path in Psalm 119, 105. He will uh, change your life as you study his word. He'll refine your life. He'll nourish your soul and he'll help use it to help you grow as a citizen of his kingdom. This morning, as we think about that, there might be some things that the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart. Maybe some of the cotton candy fluff stuff that maybe you're allowing to flow into your life. Man, you don't need it. Maybe there's some areas you've been putting off, and the Holy Spirit, even this morning, is saying, hey, there are some things that I want to remove from your life because you're on the narrow path. Or maybe you're here today, and you're just thinking about your own eternity, and you're not certain if you were to die, you'd spend eternity with God. You know, every Sunday, we like to give an opportunity for people to, to respond, to make a decision if they want to follow Jesus Christ. You need to know that he loves you. You need to know that when he hung on the cross, it was for you to pay for your sin, to provide a way for you to, to escape the wrath that awaits every person that doesn't have that faith in Jesus, and doesn't have that hope of eternal life. This morning, you can commit your life to him right where you're sitting. You can ask him to come into your life. You can ask him to forgive you of your sin. What do you need to know? We need to know that Jesus died for you and he rose from the dead. You need to know that you've broken his commands and that you're a sinner. And you, today you decide, I'm going to turn from my sin. And you need to choose to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for your love and your grace. And God, this morning, we want to pray that you will, Lord, help each and every one of us to be, uh, have our heads on a swivel, if you would. To know, God, that there are some false messages, God. Maybe even things that we listen to, God, or, or beliefs that we have, God, that just aren't grounded in your truth. Lord, let us be a church that's grounded in your truth. Let us be men and women that are, are, are building our lives upon the truth of your word. It nourishes our life, God. It guides our life. It also refines us, Lord. Use your word to change our lives. And so, God, do that this week, God. We, we invite you to move in our lives like that. Would you help us to restructure our days that we might be men and women that, 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 that create a pocket of time to read it, to get into it, to allow you to speak to us. And Father, I also pray for those who are here. There might be one person here. There might be several who need to know you today, God. They need their sins forgiven, and today they are ready to commit their lives to you. Lord, would you reveal your love to them, God, and their desperate need for your forgiveness this morning. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you want to say, Gordon, would you pray for me? Today I'm ready to, to, to respond and give my life to Jesus. I just want you to simply lift up your hand high enough so I can see it. And I want you to hold it up this morning. If you want Jesus in your life, you want your sins forgiven, you want to begin a relationship with him today, you lift your hand up and let me pray for you. Anybody here today, anybody here this morning, you want your life to be with Jesus. You want your sins forgiven. You want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you'll spend eternity with him in heaven. If that's you, you lift your hand up. Let's pray together. 
We'll tell God together right now where you're sitting what you want him to do in your life. Anybody here this morning? Anybody here today? He loves each and every one of you. Well, Father, this morning I want to say thank you for your love and your grace. And God, this morning we ask that you would bless us and fill us and strengthen us, God, as men and women to be people that are on this narrow path, God. Would you empower us to do it, God? We thank you that your grace is always there to catch us and to cover us when we stumble and we fall. And Lord, this morning we want to magnify you. We want to magnify the work of the cross. We want to magnify your grace. We love you, Lord. And I thank you for my friends today. Speak to all of us throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand. And as we close out in a song of worship, we also have folks on each side of the room that are available to receive prayer. If you need prayer this morning, man, make your way over during the song or make your way over during, uh, after the service is over. God bless you. Let's sing. Let's worship him.